Welcome to the Millwork Leaders Podcast. I'm Tim Tritton. Thanks for joining us. I have conversations with leaders in the wood manufacturing industry. We'll hear their backstories and learn from their experiences. If you're a fan of the stories of how people drive their businesses and the lessons they've learned, please jump in. Well, hello and welcome. And I'm joined with Dennis Helmuth, co-owner and general manager of Plastec in Arthur, Illinois. Welcome, Dennis. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Tim. Nice. Uh, it's an honor to have you here in my company and, and I look forward to doing this with you. I appreciate that. You know, we've gotten to know each other fairly well and, uh, done a little bit of traveling together to visit and look at machinery. And, uh, we've shared a bit about this crazy business that we're kind of both tied to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's been, it's been a, a life experience with me. I consider you, Tim, uh, a friend as much as a, you know, machinery, uh, rep, you know, you came to me as a machinery rep and I've learned to know you as a friend. So that's, uh, um, it's been great, man. That's my honor. That's <laughs> the best part about what I get to do, right? Is getting to know people like you and getting to know your families. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then if we can help somehow on the machinery side, that's just extra. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So, what I like to do and the way I like to structure these conversations is I like, you know, this whole thing is about a story about you and how you came to where you're at. Because as I expressed in my trailer episode, it's like I spent a lot of time in this business thinking that I'll never be to where Joe's at because I don't have those skills. But what I've learned is like everybody's got the skills and you just got to make it your own. Right. To me, I'm, I'm fascinated with those stories. So what sure. I want to do is I'd like to back up. And just say, okay, tell me about your upbringing, because you're you're Amish. Yes, you're raised in this Amish community. Were you raised in Arthur? I was. Yes. Okay. I, grew, I was born, born and raised uh, across the street from where I live now. So my, my parents live across the street from me, and uh, I haven't always lived there, but uh, yeah, I've, I'm Arthur, born and raised. Okay, and and I've come to love this community because uh, the people in it, you know, are just. Uh, they're awesome to, to be with and to commune with. So I, I love that bit of it. Great. It's a great place to live. Yeah. Love it. Community's awesome. It's, it's great. And I love that because you see generations working in these shops. I mean, I think it's a, it's a rarity in today's world where we're seeing people in shops where they've got three and four generations, you know, working and there's an interest in keeping the craft and the, and the skills and the, and the family business alive. So, right. yeah. Right. So do you see that as an ongoing thing or are there challenges in, in uh, Arthur along those lines to kind of keep these, these craft businesses rolling? So the Arthur community is, is very strong in woodworking. Um, they're more laid back, uh, technology They're uh, in technology. They're not advanced like some communities are, but quality and craftsmanship is, is, probably one of the strongest in the world, I believe. And they're just, I think they're, they're, they're very great. It's this area is really strong in woodworking. Uh, and a lot of them, you know, are father, son shops that have been multiple generations and they've been doing cabinets for years and, uh, you know, cutting them out on their table saws, uh, putting them together uh, and, and some of these shops are five, six man shops. Some of them are 30, 40 man shops. 
So they're they're nice shot, nice size shops and small shops and. Um, and I think that's the, the impressive thing I see is it, it, there's a diversity and a richness to all of it here, and uh, that's pretty cool. But right. the interesting thing, really, though, that wasn't you weren't raised in a in a wood shop, right? And, yeah, right, right. I was. Uh, so my my great grandpa, um, if we go back to early early 1900s. Um, occasionally I'll still go to an auction, an estate auction where somebody will sell a piece of family heirloom that my great grandpa made. And he was probably one of the originals in woodworking, but my grandpa and my dad were farmers. And so I grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, we had hogs, chickens, cows. Uh, we farmed about a hundred acres. We farmed with horses. I had zero experience in woodworking until I became a shop owner, I guess. So, <laughs> so you just <laughs> went from from farming to shop owner, but th- there's a path in between there. There, there is. There's got to be. There right? is. Yeah. So we went. Uh, I went to went to a private school, an Amish school. Uh, did eight grades in school, and when I graduated, I think I was 13 when I graduated eighth grade. When I was 14, my very first job was that my dad raised chickens uh, for meat birds for a processing plant here local in Arthur. And I come from a family of uh, seven boys. We didn't have any sisters, so there was seven boys, <laughs> no girls. And I think I think six of the uh, seven boys started out working a couple days a week in, in this chicken processing plant. So um, – that was my first job. I worked there for about a year and a half. Um, I was pretty sure there's a lot of more cool jobs out there than working at a chicken processing right. plants. Yeah. But uh, from there I did, I worked a couple of years at a, um, a truss manufacturing facility. Uh, worked there for two years. And then during their slow season, I went to work on a construction company and liked it and they had plenty of work and I ended up working there for eight years after that I had I kind of always liked the retail side of uh, of business and from the construction company my dad is a is a partner in a, a feed mill a local feed mill here and I went to work in there with the goal of getting into the retail side of the feed uh, like a uh, feed and animal products type of thing, uh, tack and that kind of stuff they were selling in the store. And I kind of got started into there. And that's where I was kind of introduced to the plastic cabinet side of it. that. That was where I got my feet wet with making cabinets was building them out of like a, uh, polymer cabinets for outdoor kitchens type of thing. Hence the name plastic, right? So it's exactly. a little bit of a misnomer these days because right. really what you're largely about is is producing cutting parts for residential cabinet shops out of plywood. Exactly. Yeah. I, I my my name is Plastec and it's almost spelled like plastic. Uh but it's like five percent of my company is is uh we still do some plastic cabinets. Or we call them poly cabinets. We cut 95% plywood, and that was kind of something. We we bought a shop that had a uh, used CNC router in it, and we started 
the idea was we're going to start you know, do some custom work for some of the local shops to keep the machine busy, but primarily we were going to do our own poly cabinets. And that's well, not the way it worked out. And that's a topic I want to get to. But before we get there, one of the things you kind of you, you move past a little bit that I think a lot of people don't understand is kind of the way the education system works among the Amish community and how, because we see, I see it every day because I'm in Amish shops on a weekly basis that there's a young skill set. They come in with these trades, but they're re- you're really training right. young men and women up early. Right. right. So it's, it's a different mentality than, than we're seeing in, in our conventional public school. Right. Yeah. So that, that is right. We're, uh, grew up I think I was six years old I was standing up at four o'clock in the morning to go out and and help my dad and my brothers um, milking cows feeding the animals and everything I was doing that early uh, you know getting up four o'clock in the morning even on school days Um, but and, and I personally didn't really enjoy the farming side of it that much but it was an experience i wouldn't trade for anything you know it was great learning to use work the land work with my hands at a very young age Uh, started school you know our, our school system is is fairly traditional except for the well we only go eight grades first through eighth so i graduated at eighth grade and and that's that's just the way the Amish school system works, right? And then you're ready to advance Correct. into what is really what you guys are considered further learning and education, but it's it's your vocation at that exactly. point, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes. And really, the the work, you know, some people might think, well, you know, wow, they're working these kids young and hard, right? But it's really all. It's not about the hard. I mean, the hard work is what makes you you, right? But it's also about instilling a work ethic. But also, it's all goes to the family cause. right? Which is everybody's driving forward to to sustain a family exactly exactly yeah. and, and there's the, we're getting hands-on uh, education you know at a young age and and there's actually I think some schools uh, doing a little bit of this you know the, where they're actually seeing like it seems like a couple generations we got away from that and they're actually starting to see the value of getting children out there and getting them experience uh, getting them, giving them the experience of hands-on uh, working with a trade that uh, maybe they'll like it and maybe they won't, but but it's still it's still that experience that that a lot of times they don't get. You know, it's interesting because I see it. You know, in my upbringing, it was the conventional wisdom is you go through high school, grade twelve, and then it's just a foregone conclusion that most people are going to college, and then at that point you get to figure out, do I even like what I'm doing? Do I even like why I've studied all these difficult topics? Do I, I, am I cut out for this? And, um, sometimes it's too late. Right. um, Because it takes a minute to figure out what you might be good at, what you have aptitude at. And, um, you know, in today's world, there's much more talk about, you know, doing what you love and have a passion for because that really will carry you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of value in the way that you all look at things. And uh, yeah, yeah, we, I, I have uh, my. There's nothing my boys like better. I've my family is three boys and two girls. Uh, my oldest son is 14, a 12 year old, six year old, four year old, and and a baby. And you know my boys come over here nights after school occasionally or Saturdays, and they're just back here playing with the tools. They're taking my 
plywood scraps out of the dumpster and screwing something together or nailing it and gluing it together. And, and it's great. You know, they're, um, when I look at the first things they made to what they're making now, I mean, it's improvement and they're in you know, sixth, seventh they're grade. Using their imagination, their understanding how these things work and how the processes come together. It's amazing right. how many adults I've met in my life that have no idea how a cabinet works. Right. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just something I put my dishes in. I have no idea how it goes together. And yeah. it's a, that's a foreign concept. Sure. It's not that it's wrong, but it's interesting that that's, that's how I think the majority of Americans are raised. Exactly. And these things right. just appear in their houses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody has to make them, right? Exactly. <laughs> so backing up to the childhood a little bit, what kind of things did you dream about and how did you view where your life might go when you were a child and you're thinking about where am I going to, what's it going to look like when I'm an adult and I'm married and I've got kids? That's a good question. Married and kids was always a part of my vision. Um, and as far as a career path, you know, I think, I think in, in non-Amish circles, I think there's a lot of focus put on, you know, what do you want to be becoming as an adult? You know, do you want to be a policeman? You want to be a firefighter, you know, as a pilot, whatever. Um, I think that's maybe not focused on as much in my, in, in, in the Amish culture, you know, we kind of grow up, we, we work what our what our dad does a lot to start with but then eventually we'll get a job and sometimes we take a job that's available and sometimes that's a career that we go down for a couple of years and we say ah this isn't really for me and then we'll kind of grow into something else i think i always dreamed of being a business owner um it's not all that I thought it would be, but <laughs> it, um, it never is. Trust me. <laughs> um, but I think, I think deep down and I'm not, I'm not doing that. Uh, manufacturing I think is, is, is great. I, I like manufacturing, but I think my heart is really in retail. Uh, sometime, eventually sometime I'd like to, uh, get, back into retail, not out of the business that I'm in, but just into the different side of this business. And so when you say retail, what do you mean? I could sell any, I could retail anything really. I mean, so I use selling things to just direct, to the general direct public. To consumers. Exactly. Okay. Uh, cabinets would be great. Uh, I think if there was a dream job for me, it would probably be to be a, a, a general contractor on, on a large project. Okay. You know, just, throwing ideas out there. I'm not really a numbers kind of guy. I don't, I don't like doing numbers is crazy. Like, um, when I went to school, I hated arithmetic. I had good grades in arithmetic, but I, I hated math. And now all I do is numbers every day and every oh, day. Right. The joy <laughs> of being a business owner. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, and I like it, you know, I like doing, uh, I'm working with geometry every day, running the CNC's. Um, I like it. You know, it's, it's not that I despise it. It bored me, I think, in school, numbers did. It was just like I did these same math problems yesterday Why well, I got to do them again today. But uh, my dream job would have probably been to see a project through step by step, make sure the deadlines get hit, be able to uh, share ideas on what I think would be the best way to, to achieve something. And so that would possibly be the the uh, customer interaction that, that I would dream of. Um, 
customer customer service to me is huge like that's uh to me i don't care if you know when i was working at the feed mill and a guy came in and wanted to know what the best horse blanket is to put on his his pleasure horse or whatever it was you know as long as i could make that customer happy you know it didn't matter was was it that kind of customer service or was it fixing a broken water tank or was it you know selling a guy a kitchen cabinet you know it was it was customer service is great for me and so you've put your finger on the very thing that i'm passionate about because i love that relational piece of business if somebody has worn a lot of different hats and owned lots of different businesses i've i've uh I always hated the business bit of it, which are the numbers, the books, all that, which is, you know, some guys that make a lot of money because they focus on that. But I was, I love the orchestration of all of it. And I love the relational bit, like the relationship we've developed, Definitely. you know, and all the customers I've worked for building homes and doing other things. It's, um, you know, that bit of it is what I cherish the most. And I think is the unique skill set that makes businesses really great. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, it's very rewarding to not only to see like a, a product that I, help develop or a product that I got through to one of my customers, maybe it wasn't the end customer, but to see that in his home done. And, you know, there's, there's some enjoyment for me to see a piece that I made that looks great. But I think where my main enjoyment comes out of is to see that this customer loves this piece. That that's like, that's, that's really what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate what you say about going. So I understand now a little better about the retail, but you know, the large bit of your business currently isn't that way. Right. It's, it's driven business to business is what you're doing. You're selling You're you've got one of the few CNC shops in Arthur. Exactly. Right. And, and to be clear, the business that I'm running currently, uh, I really have no desire to go, you know, direct to the customer retail is not my bread and butter. I like to work with other cabinet shops in this area, small shops to big shops. You know, I've got customers that have five to 10 employees and I got customers that have 30 to 40 employees and just to get them the service and the parts they need, you know, my, my philosophy has always been, I'm a cut shop. And you need, I need to provide parts and a service to you. I'm a service shop. So for my, my philosophy has always been, it has to work for me and it has to work for you. If it only works for you, it's not going to work for me in the long term. If it only works for me, it's not going to work for me in the long term. So, you know, it has to work for both of us. Amen. There's a lot of truth in that. It's like, it has to be a good deal for everybody. And you have, and you're, but the, the interesting thing about what you do, and, and f- so that the listeners know, in Arthur, Illinois, the Amish community doesn't have computers or, for the most part, even really traditional power in their shops, right? Exactly. Um, right. And so uh, the idea of a CNC machine in the majority of the shops, and in, I don't know how many cabinet shops are here, probably 60? Probably. I yeah, mean, there's, I there's a there's lot of them. In the 50, 50, 60 range. Yeah, yeah. you could darn near walk from shop to shop yeah. and keep busy for a long time. Yeah. Um, but there's only a handful of shops that are cutting parts. So what you've done is you've figured out a way to provide a service for these shops, which really has elevated the game because it's gone from traditional, maybe hydraulically powered 
table saws, cutting parts, and machining to you providing accurate CNC parts, which really has is, is changed a lot in elevated production for the, a lot of these shops in the area. Exactly. Yeah, and, and a lot of – so where I kind of got started with this, and, and I'll tell you just kind of funny story, but one of the first shops that sent me an order for a frameless cabinet, and these guys have been in the, in the woodworking industry for years, like three generations. They, they build cabinets with face frame. And they know the ins and outs of it. Like they know this is how we do this, this is how we do that. And and to this day, I'm kind of lost on face frame. I don't have that experience. But when the Euro style cabinet started coming into this community, into this area, dealers started asking for it. The shops were forced to, or they were out of their leg here. Like they didn't. I mean, they could they could figure it out, but they didn't really know. So they started. The general consensus was the easiest way to build a, and it's accurate, the easiest way to build a Euro-style cabinet is this one that's been cut out on a CNC router. So this customer sent me my first job, and he sends over this order. I'm like, and I didn't want to admit that I didn't know half of his language on here. Like, I, I can tell that a, a 1W36 is maybe a, a it'd be a wall cabinet 36 inches wide or 36 inches tall or whatever you know every shop has different language but and a, and a 1d 24 was probably going to be a one drawer 24 inch base cabinet but he had this stuff like a bep and a tep and i was like <laughs> what in the world am i getting myself into here and my my wife actually comes from a woodworking background her her dad is wood owns a cabinet shop has since he was in his lower thirties you know so they've got thirty forty years of experience in woodworking so I took these papers home to her and she's like she looks at it and like uh, I don't know what that is like that's not what we call it and but eventually you know I learned but I mean it was just that that was one of the I mean that's how literally I started not knowing anything about it um, and on the computer side of it. Uh, I was I was about as lost there. I remember uh, scanning in a document on my copier and saving it on my computer, and then <laughs> trying to go find it. Like where did I put this thing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy to think about it now, but I still uh, do that. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about like the tuition, um, and everybody has tuition, and that, that to me that's the cost of what you learned so to me that would be like the lessons you've learned and so there's a price to those lessons exactly. right that's the tuition cost <laughs> yeah. right so um you probably just kind of shared an example about that but when you think about you 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 found yourself in this millwork business you're gonna you're gonna make plastic cabinets and suddenly you're you're instantly because somebody gives you a job you're, you're machining and cutting some some plywood parts and then it probably didn't take long to uh, for the word to spread like, hey, this guy can cut parts, right? Right. And so you're ramping up pretty quick. But can you give me an example of tuition, maybe a, a hard lesson that you've had to learn as you went through and um, tried to figure out how to make the CNC bit work? Because we had this conversation earlier about I've, I've had some customers that um, clearly weren't ready for a CNC. Right. And it's like, you know, you don't have any software. You don't understand anything about it. I mean it's it's just going to be a steel paperweight otherwise right, right? and right. so um it's there's a, if you don't inherently have that knowledge there's a steep climb 
Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a specific thing that, that comes to mind, but uh, the first thing had, I mean, we bought we bought a, an existing, you can call it an existing business, but we took our own name. We basically just bought a machine that had like one or two customers with it. And those customers, I might have got like, I want to say at the most, we might have had two days a month. Was all So we built this thing from the ground up. And frameless cabinets uh, was was the thing was what we targeted first as on the cabinet side of now we do do custom cnc work uh, that is not cabinet related uh maybe for doors or uh, other millwork shops or whatever but frameless cabinets was was kind of our niche and what i found was uh and the software and the, the cnc wasn't that difficult for me to learn but the software was a hurdle uh, we use cabinet vision it's a it's a big piece of software to learn and you know six years later i'm still learning every day there's always something to learn so the uh the the frameless what i found was even though i knew nothing i was i was brand new in the cabinet side of the of the industry my customers were brand new on to the frameless side like some of my customers my father-in-law his shop was probably a year after I was in business. They contacted me and said they're thinking about starting to offer a Euro style cabinet. Wanted to know, you know, if I'd cut them out for them. Sure. And it wasn't long. They were running their first couple of jobs. They're like, how would you do this? How would you do that? Now, here's somebody that's been in business doing cabinets, knows nothing but cabinets for, for 30 years, 35 years. And they're asking me, somebody with a year under my belt, how you would do this on a cabinet. But it was because they were doing face frame and they weren't, ex and they weren't experienced with frameless. That helped me tremendously because I could kind of set the standard and I could set the standard for them. And I could turn around and set the same standard for the next shop I picked up and the next shop. It made my job a lot easier, but now we are custom and not all of our cut, not all of our shops do the same thing, but some of the things that were easier to just do it all the same, you know, they were fine with, let's, all right, let's just do it that way. Well, there's, and there's an important bit of wisdom in that. And we'll probably, get, I'm going to get back to that in a minute, but you know, we've had this conversation a lot and I have it with many, many people. It's the, the, I think maybe our listeners don't even understand the difference between what we call face frame and frameless cabinets. To define it quickly, a traditional cabinet would be what they consider a face frame cabinet. So it's a box with, a, say, a two-inch wide strip of wood around the face of it that the doors and drawers are mounted to. That's a traditional style cabinet. And many people t still today would say that you don't have a cabinet if you don't have that face frame. Right. But the European style way, which I think probably was developed, I don't know, in Europe, but it's without the frame. It's then it's just a thicker plywood and it's just a plywood box with no additional wood on it. And there's some benefits to that, but largely the biggest benefit is you're not building face frames and the boxes go together much quicker. So there's a lot less machining, but you've, because you adopted that and, and face frameless cabinets lend themselves to CNC machining really well, because right? you're cutting these parts out. Um, but you've not only had to learn how to, to execute, but you've also had to educate the community. Why right. would we even consider this, right? <laughs> and I spent a lot of time in my job explaining to customers, hey, you know, there's some real benefits of this. 
Exactly. So it's it's an interesting conversation, but the you know the wisdom that you touched on is um, I I think there's a, there's a lot of value in saying, I always used to say like the hardest part of owning a business that I never really did well was learning to say no. Right. <laughs> so yeah. you touched on it by you weren't necessarily saying no, I'll do what you want, but you figured out this is what works for me. Right. And so this is what I'm interested in having people catch. And that's the reason for the podcast is like, I've been in, I don't know, 400 shops in the last year, but there are 400 different ways to do things. There's not one right way. I used to think that, exactly. right? I, thought, I know it. I know yeah. the right way, but it's not that yeah. way. That's not how it goes down. But you also have to learn what works for you. Right. And it doesn't always work for everybody, but if you define that and you lead people down that path, because mm-hmm. like you said, it's got to work for you and it's got to work for them too. Yeah. But I, I think something that came with this, uh, with this position, it, I, I became, yeah, I didn't even think about it until I was in it, this position for a while. I became a neutral, uh, place between, like, I became a, a hub, if you want to call it that, between all these different cabinet shops. And the, the, uh, cabinet shop industry, I want to say in our community is one of the friendliest industries to be in it's great but there's still some things like you just don't want to go to the shop next door or you know two miles down the street and ask them how do you guys do this Mm -hmm. or how do you guys do that you know they figured it out on their own we're going to figure it out on our on our own but i found where a lot of guys will uh, because it comes and goes both ways. I'll figure something out for somebody or I'll help somebody figure something out, you know, how to do it on the CNC. And then later I'll be contacted by a different shop and, and they want to achieve the same thing, but they want to come at it from a different angle. And I'll say, have you ever thought about doing it like this, that I've done what you're wanting to do, but we did it like that. And they're like, you know what? I never thought about that. Right. That right. seems like it worked great. Absolutely. And, uh, I've been contacted by somebody who's uh, not even not even a customer of mine, but just just to give an example, he contacted me. Said he knew that I work with a lot of different cabinet shops in the area, and he said I got a customer in Washington D.C. that needs this kitchen by a certain certain time, and we just can't get it through our shop in time. Do you have anybody in your group? of shops you're working with that you think could work this in. I said, actually, I, I think I know a couple shops that, uh, they're still pretty busy, but they got holes in their schedule. And I think we could work this in. So, you know, it was great. I was in this position where I, I had feelers in all these different shops and, uh, we were able to run the job through and. So you've become a, a resource for the community. And, you know, I think that's an important bit to play. I believe in that in my business. And I think that, you know, it's like, what's the saying? Rising tide raises all ships. I, exactly. I, I don't think there's any reason to hold the knowledge and the skills sacred. You, everybody can work together to, to make these things go well. Very much. I never have a problem recommending somebody else's machine if it's the right thing for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that should be the idea because if you're doing good for everybody involved, it's it's always going to come back the good way. I'm, I'm, uh, maybe even dangerously an open book with, with my business. You know, I'm, and I say that lightly and jokingly, but, um, 
I don't have, if I thought it would help somebody, if they want, like, if I thought somebody could truly gain something from, from they wanted to see my QuickBooks account, I'd probably show it to them. Like, I don't have anything to hide. Right. I, but I don't think there'd ever be a reason for that. But so my thing is if I, if I can help somebody, if they got a question about like, how do you do this? You know, why would I not? They'll return the favor someday for me. Why would I not share that? Exactly. The, the concept no, is foreign to me. Right. I it, it bothers me to watch people struggle. Right. We can help you. Yeah. <laughs> we can figure this out. <laughs> right. I got a business partner who's in a different industry, and um, and he's he's in the construction industry, and a great guy and everything. But uh, and he lets me, you know, run the business as I as I see fit, but. Sometimes he just shakes his head like somebody calls me like, how do you price something out like this here? Uh, you know, and sometimes it's a direct co- competitor. He's like, how do you do pricing on, on cabinet parts? I'm like, well, I'll just send you my, my price out sheet. I got a price out sheet tells you like how much for a base cabinet, how much for a wall cabinet, how much, you know, and to me, I'd rather do that because that customer could have gone to one of my customers and, or he could have, there's probably different ways he could have gone through some back channels and ended up with my price list. Exactly. Uh, but he came to me and he was honest. I didn't have anything. As long as if I am only able to hang on to my customers because of price, you know, I'm just $1 away from losing them. You know, it's exactly. it's got to be more than that. The, the, and, and you spoke to it earlier. It's about the relationship. Right. Yeah. So helping people all the way, that's, that ha- is how you'll sustain. Yeah. And, you know, and I see that that's a trademark of truly great businesses. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the businesses that don't operate that way, they don't have longevity like you'd hope. Right. Yeah. Right. And it, it works both ways because I've been on the asking end. Exactly. You know, right. I've, I've, I mean, you know, I, I had a job recently where somebody wanted cabinet parts quoted and then he asked me, uh, what about countertops? Would you supply countertops? I mean, we would outsource that, absolutely. But, yeah, I'll. so I called my countertop supplier. Say, hey, can, we, can you give me a price on some countertops? And so he gave me my price, but this was a new territory for me. So I called a family member outside of, you know, it was also in the cabinet industry that's done a lot more of that kind of work. And I was like, Hey, you know, what kind of margins are there on countertops? Told him my scenario. And it, you know, he told me like, he gave me numbers like, well, on the top end, you're going to go this percent on the lower end. You're going to go this, you know, if you want it bad enough, you know, I'd go this percent, you know, and that's like, I didn't get the job, but I didn't care. You know, for me, it was just that, I had a shot at it. And you've learned. You know, maybe next time I'll get, exactly. get it. So Right, right. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you touched on something a minute ago that maybe we've left the listeners maybe slightly confused. You have a business partner, so maybe there's some confusion as to why uh, Ama Shops and Arthur, they there's explain how it, it works that there's no computers and there's no power, and it, it's a way of life for the Amish community. Right. It's, it's mandated by the local churches. Right, it is uh, the the uh, the churches in this and this this 
just because it's like this in, in the community where I come from doesn't mean it's like this everywhere. Like there's certain communities where they probably don't even have gas motors, like even on their lawnmowers. And then you go to the next community and they're Amish and they have generators, great big electric generators outside that are producing three phase power and they're running fully automated shops and you, but in this community, the traditional Amish shop has maybe some 12 volt power, a little bit of 110 power where it's needed, but uh, by majority, it's run off of hydraulic and air, and that's that's where our church standards are at the time. And uh, I have a business partner who's not Amish, and he is a uh, owns a uh, major percent of the company with me uh manager of the company and we could have this and it's been great my uh it's been i work primarily for the amish community and you know it's been uh there's a lot we've been able to bring value to the amish community like it's this. interesting because, you know, maybe you might assume that there'd be some, you know, it might be frowned upon or maybe you might get a little pushback, but, you know, and I visit all these shops and, you know, it seems like it's like a blessing for the community. Right. able to help and, and right. do these things. And, and you haven't gone outside your statement of faith to, to do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, and I, I think you're, you're, uh, exactly right. Uh, I'm sure there's some guys out there that are like, yeah, man, how's come he's got that stuff? Like, why, why can he have that? But by far majority, they're just glad that I'm helping them achieve their goals. And um, and something that, you know, I got into the frameless side of, of cabinets on the cutting side post-COVID, and this is kind of going back to, to something else that I, that I might've missed a little bit, but post COVID, uh, finding skilled labor was a struggle and the, the cabinet industry just blew up. The kitchen industry just blew up and, and guys were losing their saw operator or their uh, shop foreman or whatever. And, and their, their lead times just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And, some of these guys came to me because they didn't really have it. I mean, it's the only way they took their saw guy off and put him into the finish room or put him to assembling, you know, the more in the back end and stuff. So I was cutting the parts out and they were sending more kitchens out the back door. And that's, that's where my business really blew up. Even though some of my customers came to me because they didn't really have a lot of alternatives they like it good enough now that um i don't think they want to go back to the way they were doing it well yeah because what you're doing is you're taking the really hard bits of making cabinets off their plates right Mm -hmm. and you know and honestly i mean you know a box is a box there's not tons of magic in that so a million cabinet shops can put boxes together right but then in my estimation the beauty of a cabinet is in the, the finishing bits. It's in finish. It's in the doors and drawers and the hardware and the, and the care that you take assembling all that. It's a sum total of all those parts that make a great cabinet. 
Exactly. And so, you know, and I, and I think about the service you're providing for the community. I think these shops would have been forced to just based on demand. And here we are in February of 23 thinking, you know, we're in a downturn, but still these shops are five months out right now. Exactly. It's, it's kind of a, exactly. a, a crazy and, notion. And the, but they would go, if you weren't here, they may as well spend the money here locally as opposed to going two towns over to have parts cut if they could even get it done. Right. And, and that's where I think uh, – I have customers um, of all levels of leadership in the in the Amish Church, um, you know, and it doesn't matter. There's there's no there's no tyranny in the Amish Church. Like, um, it's not like the bishop has has more he has more responsibilities, but he doesn't have more power than than a lay member in the church does. But um, I have uh, bishops that are my customers. I, you know, and, and they're glad to be my customer. They're glad. So there's no controversy really, uh, on that. I know of as far as for me having equipment that they can't have. The bottom line is they've been able to not say no to jobs that they would have been forced to say no to you know, had somebody here not had a CNC. Exactly. So, and you're strengthening, I mean, and I've heard it said over and over in this community that, I mean, and it's true that the heritage and the richness in Arthur is the woodworking tradition. Exactly. Right. So you're, you're helping rise that tide. Right. And I think though, I think the day will come eventually, you know, it might be 10 years, might be 15 years when you, see more Amish shops with CNC routers, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. Some people say there's a number of years that they're normally behind mainstream society as far as technology. I don't know what that number is, but I think there'll be a day when, when more CNC routers are available. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just for now, that's just where we're at now. Yeah. I see that. And, um, it's an interesting, and we've, we've carried this conversation on a, what does the future hold? Who knows? Right. right. So, you know, kind of moving on from that topic, I'm kind of interested in focusing on the way shops work and the mentality. One of the things that I, I'd love to see is a culture in a shop. And so I guess my question to you is what kind of culture would you like to foster? And um, because we talked a little bit about, say, coming up as a youth and, and we see generations in shop and we talked about our friend here and Arthur who we just admired it the way he he is to me a master at, at fostering and, and mentoring and and, and and making a culture happen within a shop that's creating leaders exactly so so, so what how, what kind of things do you think about as your because your business is still young right and and you and you don't have a large staff but you do have people that are you're in charge of. Right. So when I look, look at like if somebody would have asked me six years ago when I was a, um, starting this business, like for a vision statement, it would have probably been like, I would have probably come up with something, you know, right then and there. But, um, I am, a um, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say that I fly by the seat of my pants, but I do think things out but I deal with the here and now and and I have a vision. I seen something in another shop and it was it was actually um my brother-in-law who you just referred to there 
Uh, I worked in his shop part-time when I was starting my business. He has a way of probably most valuable asset is his ability to see uh, the value in his uh, employees and building that in his employees. And if there was one thing that I that I took away from that, in fact, I made to, the comment to several people. Um, I started working there after I had started this. But I was just part-time here at my company. Then I was working a couple of days a week there. And I was like, if I'd have worked there first, I'd probably never bought this company because I, <laughs> I loved the atmosphere. I loved working there. But my takeaway there was seeing that the the relationship he has with his employees how he values his employees, how he invests in his employees. And, and that's what, that's my vision. That's my goal. Uh, I don't want to copy him. You know, each person has to be as his, his own person. Um, he's going to, he's stronger in that area than I, than I probably am. I have a clean work environment is to me very critical. Like I want to have a, the kind of work environment that, a dad has no problem sending a 14 year old boy to go work at and not thinking that, you know, he's going to be in the kind of environment where, you know, loose language and, and that kind of thing. That's, that's critical. You know, keep it clean, but then also physically clean, like right. physically clean yep. is, uh, and organized is, is important to me. It's, it's an ongoing thing for me. Um, but then there's another side of, of, of that, what, what I envision my company to be, and we're a small company right now, but I've read books about companies that were massive companies. Um, and the one, the, the one book that I read was about a company that, uh, I don't even remember the percentage of profits that they basically, it went for, charitable organizations and you know for me my idea of a business is not to build personal wealth but if if i have a vision for what i think my dream business would look like it'd be something that other people can benefit from and whether that's you know services or you know monetary to build a business that can benefit other people, uh, that's, that's where it's at for me. Like if I, if I could achieve that, that would be, you know, what I would be shooting for. I think I read somewhere, one of the books I read was like Hobby Lobby. Yeah. They, I mean, I forget the percentage and you know, when I, and, and probably everybody, when they read that book, they're like, man, that I want to be like that. But what I've found is, um, Everybody wants to be that guy, but they want to be that guy after they were able to stick a million dollars into their own account. Right. You know, it looks like it'd be fun to give away five million when you're able to keep one, but it's a little different story when you're want to give away. But that has to that mentality has to start before you're turning that kind of revenue. Absolutely, and it has to be so. a give first mentality. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. So you've, you've come around a few different things that I, I'd love to talk about because like I spent a fair bit of my career in, in my early working career, labor 
disposable commodity is the wrong word, but we acted that way very much when I was a young owner of shops and businesses. It was, you know, we like uh, you could treat people poorly and think, oh, it doesn't matter because I'll just replace them with the next person. And there was always the next person. We don't live in that world today, right? right? right. And it doesn't make, but it still doesn't make that right. But I also used to have the mentality along with that, that, you know, why spend extra money on facilities? It's just, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to get something out the door. Is, is it a dry roof? Good. But the owner I get, I see, you know, one, we've got to protect our, our valuable resources, which are the is the labor resource. That asset is, you know, we have to. In today's labor market, it's crazy hard. Every shop exactly. I'm in are just crying for help. I don't know anybody that says I'm good. Right, right. right. Um, but at the same time, we need to make that place. We need to we need to elevate these people, like you say, and pour into them. And whether it's a giving mentality or however that that works for you and and whatever that means to you, it, I think it needs to be a conscious effort. But also the 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 place of business. There's a lot of value, a lot more than I ever understood in having a place of business that's not only clean, but it's aesthetically pleasing. Right. So when you walk in a shop, it's really cool to work at. That's, you know, that's part of the things I get so enthused about with the machinery too, because if some of these shops you're in and, you know, when you walk in a clean shop, it's, it's, it speaks to the quality, but it also gives people, no one wants to go and deal with walk through mess to work, right? It's depressing. Mm -hmm. And when you have a cool shop, it's full of, great cool gear and you've got you know bright environment and clean work environment and it's you know you got a nice break room and all these things that really does make a difference and right. it's um and it feels like maybe money that you're not getting returned but that's not the case do you mm-hmm. do you agree with that idea i do 100 percent. and and so i want my if there's if there's one way to wrap my business uh vision up i want it to be a god first business you know uh God, God first in, in everything. And to me, you know, I know God as being a God of order and not of, a, he's not, we know who the author of confusion is. I mean, it's so like, <laughs> how can you have, uh, I'm not saying that a godly man can't have a messy shop, but I want, like, I, I think in, for my, the way I see it, I think, they work well together. They don't have to go together, but they work well together. And when somebody walks into a business that they feel like it's got clean environment, it's got good ethics, it's got um, the the cream on top of the cake is a clean work environment. Exactly. And, and I just think, and, and you touched on a little bit about, uh, you know, there was before my time, you could probably kind of get away with, paying an employee less than he was worth or getting rid of an employee because he didn't quite tick the way you wanted to, you know, you didn't, ha- you weren't forced to work things out with him, like try to build relationships. You just replace him. Uh, that's not here. That's not the here and now. I mean, there's, that is not reality. Like you have to build what you've got to keep it. And it, and it is a value. It and is. Yeah. And I'm ashamed to admit that I was, I was notoriously hard to work for. And <laughs> if you ever cross paths, the people that have worked for me, because I, I had very little patience for anybody that wasn't willing to work as hard as I was willing to work. Right. Um, but I understand it now as a maturity that 
it was really my job as a leader to get to to elevate those people to the point where they could work as hard as they knew how and maybe it wasn't going to be as hard as I would have done it but you know that is an unrealistic expectation exactly um, yeah i think i think that uh you know i'm no i'm no expert at that i don't know uh sometimes i'd be curious what my employees think about working for me um i like to be a fun guy to work for but uh i know i can be when I get deadlines over me in my head, sometimes I can be like, Hey, let's keep it going. Keep it going. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, if you can just try to take it one step at a time, when, what I found is when, when deadlines were, are pushing and, and the workload is heavy, I start getting stressed out and it's just like my, my employees start feeling it. And pretty soon, you know, the, the, it's like, what's the, what's the point? Like, it, there's no fun in this anymore. Brother, I've been there and it, it never ends well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's not, it's not good. It's like the, the, the more frustrated you get, the less productive everybody gets. Right. Right. You, you just see it go down. And, right. uh, yeah. What, what's the saying? I was, it's, it's kind of a slightly askew to this topic, but it's like, you, you always have, you always have the money to pay for it to do it right the second time. Right. And right. so when you get frustrated with people and you start getting shoddy work and then you're like, Oh geez, we yeah. do it again. This right. Is, this is fun. Right. You send something out the door that you think eh, they might go, might not. And then you always get that part back to recut when your schedule doesn't allow for it. You right. know, I could have got, you know, if we would have just take slowed up a half a step and done it right the first time, you know, we would have gained. And, and that's, that's, in the business that I'm in, you know, not only does it, I said it earlier, it's got to work for me and it's got to work for them. It can't just work for one of us. And that is as much true. Like, I don't care if I'm cutting case parts and I send you a case, I send you a, a package out to put together and there's one part that's bad. I don't care if I recut that part and deliver it to you within the hour free of charge. Um, you know, even if I do that every single time that happens, I, that's, that's not in the long term that can't keep happening. Not, not only will it affect my bottom dollar, but that's not even the issue for me. That customer expects to be able to put this thing together without recuts, you know, for it to work. He's used to cutting these parts out on his table saw and not needing to recut parts because of, you know, bad piece of plywood or something that should have been tossed. Exactly. So you know, You're degrading exactly. the customer's confidence. Right. Right? And right. so it's important. On the other hand, you know, we have to look at it. none of us are perfect. So right. things will happen. So then the next step is like you say, how do we react to these things? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so kind of moving on to another topic, what do you think, you know, we kind of skirted around a little bit, but um, what are the challenges you're seeing in this kind of millwork industry? And um, what do you think, as you look forward five and 10 years, what kind of challenges are you preparing to face? Well, I think what I'm, what I'm gearing for is to expand what I'm, what I'm doing now. Um, I think, I don't think the quality, uh, the skilled labor is not going to get better than what it is now. You know, I mean, you might see a downturn and, and that's something, you know, about the 
community we're in, there is a lot of skilled labor here, uh, but they all have jobs right now, too. I mean, the unemployment in this community is like almost zero. It's got to be. And so it's, it's uh, and there's a lot of good, hardworking people out there. And so with, with that being said, like, even if we see a downturn in the economy where I might be able to hire a shop foreman a little easier than what it is now, the demand in the meantime, the demand has, has got higher and higher. And I like automation and I could see, I see my, my business. My goal is to, to keep expanding that, keep expanding that. Um, we've been branching out, uh, although a lot of my business has been to the Arthur community uh, we've been reaching out into Wisconsin, uh, Missouri, and, and some of those communities are as like as far as their church standards, their guidelines are quite a bit lower than ours are. I'm branching out into those areas, and and those guys are just they're just excited. Like when I show them a cabinet that's been cut out on CNC, and they're like, "Mean all these holes are drilled for me there." And when you say when you say that. Excuse me. The church standard is lower. It's um, it's they they have have further restrictions. Far, yeah, yeah, further restrictions. So yeah, yes. So yes, but when you're introducing them to they they don't even understand. They they probably have rarely seen CNC. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, um, technology wise, they're they're more impaired than we are. You know, and and it's just. Uh, but the thing that I've found that just just blows my mind. I mean, we got we're big. We got big shops around here, and I'm talking to guys that don't even have fax machines, and they're pulling contracts in that are like they're buying they're buying semi loads of plywood at a time. They're buying more plywood than I am by by a far shot. And I'm just like, man, I need to I need to build a relationship with these guys. Well. Listen, make no mistake, because their ways may seem simple does not mean they're not sophisticated businesses. Exactly. I mean, I have seen some pretty amazing operations happening here. And when you think that, you know, somebody's going to buy a $150,000 molder and then take the motors out of it and convert it to hydraulic power. Right. It, and spend another 75000 on to, it. To do so right, um, is, is saying a lot because, it, it, but they understand how to make money right. at what they're doing. Right. And I, I will say like, just because a, a shop has very little electricity in it doesn't mean they don't have some pretty sophisticated equipment in there. Amish ingenuity is what should I call it is pretty crazy. Like it's, they get pretty creative. Like you can do a lot of stuff with air switches and a couple 12 volt sensors and you can get really automated with that. Um, yeah. I know somebody that bought a used, White belt sander paid twelve hundred bucks for it. Spent twelve thousand dollars to take the motors out, switch it over, and I mean, you know, does it make sense to the average person? No, but uh, it got him what he needed to produce, what he had to produce, and he's filling big contracts. You know, and you know, and you know, I I love that. As somebody that you know makes his living, you know, selling new gear, I still really appreciate the ingenuity. I also really appreciate the adherence to what you all believe in. I mean, there's a lot to be said for that, right? right. And um, right. and I think that um, that all goes to 
something that is meaningful and is worth pursuing. And so I think sometimes um, when I see shops that they have this huge bucket of money and they just drop it in and they, they buy one of everything and they think, presto, I've got a shop. There's no soul. There's no heart. Exactly. And so exactly. without that, you know, sometimes I think it's a challenge to make that survive. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think we're getting probably close on time here and we probably should try to wrap it up a little bit. Um, maybe just some fun questions. Okay. Um, I'm a gearhead, so I love machines. I love anything mechanical. Um, what's your favorite piece of gear in your shop? That's an easy one. Like I got a brand new uh, home ag Nessa base router that uh, it, I think we put it in in three months ago, something like that. It's got uh, the in feed out feed. I like. I think it seems like a long time ago, but it couldn't have been more than six years ago because I didn't know anything about CNC router six years ago. So, uh, like probably three four years ago, I remember telling people like you can get these routers now that you can load your bunk of lumber on the one end and the machine will pull that onto your table, cut it and push it off the other end. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, maybe 10, 15 years down the road, uh, I'm going to have one of those. Now, you know, we're maybe four years later, uh, I got one and, uh, it's, it's great. I love it. Um, I, and, and I'll, do a little bit of advertisement here for Tim. Uh, I have done, I have actually had my first breakdown on that machine, which anybody's going to break down a new machine, mostly operator error. But I bought, when I told Tim, like, guess what? I got a breakdown on my machine. I told him, I said, I, I told you, I said, we didn't do, I didn't buy styles because it wouldn't break. I bought styles because of when it breaks. It's going to break. It's Everything's going right. to break. It's a machine, right? Right. I appreciate that. Yeah. It, it was the right answer you had. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to lead you down that path, but uh, <laughs> it is a, it's a cool thing to behold. Sure. And, you know, and you see the machinery. Like it's it, The thing I do love is that when you, see, when you place a piece of gear and it advances a business, and then it becomes the next investment comes quicker than they would have imagined because they've elevated to a new height. So I, that's just a very cool thing. And that's, sure. that's what gets me so excited about and it. And the scary thing about that is, you know, three years ago, I was, I was thinking about three or four years ago, I was thinking about this, uh, automated, you know, in feed, out feed thing. And now I probably look about or think about a store tech like I did, that so I'm like uh, you know maybe that's going to become reality at t but i don't know the more i see of of automation the more it makes sense to me yeah i mean yeah don't get me yeah. on the path yeah because <laughs> i can preach that yeah. <laughs> it's a it, it's a real thing and there's real value and it, and it really right. just circles right back to the whole labor problem exactly and and you know and labor's a precious resource mm -hmm. um but it's also a variable input for your business Right. You know, day to day, are they calling in sick? Are they going to work hard? Whatever's going on. And, and this is just the way it works. So if you can level that field, it's going to make your business more sustainable. And then you're going to use that precious resource in all the better ways you can. Sure. It doesn't mean we're replacing people. 
Exactly. We're not doing that. No, yeah. no, not at all. I, uh, there's some people that they look at this kind of thing like, and, and I will like, I can make some really cool things with machinery. People, some people, they, they're just in awe of something that I made on the machine. Like what? Like that was so, you made that look so your, your machine made that look so easy, but something that's that I admire is somebody that made that with their bare, without a machine. And, but it's not that we're replacing humans. It's not like, like we're replacing uh, Maybe there's a new job for them or a different job for them, but there's still jobs there for them. Exactly. And automation does not replace. Nope. It's, it's just a different skill set. Exactly. And, and then you're never going to replace the bit of human interaction that's caring for people and caring for customers. Exactly. You're never going to take that away. Right. Right. Yeah. Please, let's never take that away. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, we kind of get we kind of get close sometimes. We start talking about just, you know, online clicking and ordering and things. But, right. you know, in um, in this world that we live in, in millwork, I think there's always going to be a, a bit of that that's necessary. And I, right. sh- I, sh- I firmly believe that. I don't care what level you're at. Right. And, yeah. and you might. I mean, I think it comes and goes in phases. I think there was a time when when one generation they would have rather shopped online. And I think there's some studies that show when people want to go back into stores more, you know, so it comes and goes, but uh, you're not going to get away from that. Humans still like humans and they want to have that uh, interaction with humans. And no, I believe that. And I mean, I think it's one thing, maybe buying something cheap, like a little cabinet that might be for, you know, an office or something. It doesn't right. matter. But when you're talking about like, say the heart of your home, which is the kitchen, right. Um, you know, you, you want that personal level of, of craftsmanship and touch and exactly as great as the gear is, it still takes the people to make that happen. Right. A hundred percent. So we started on the fun path and we got back in the machinery world. Right. right. That's us <laughs> so what do you focus on or what's, what are your hobbies? What do you do when you're not busy running the shop? Um, uh, my hobbies have been kind of few and far in between, but, but if there's one that I always come back to, it's auctions. Okay. Uh, I love auctions. Uh, I love working auctions. Um, I actually, I don't even know if, if you know this, but, uh, I do, uh, bid spotting at, at auctions. Okay. So, so educate the, me. What's bid spotting? So w- the auctioneer sits at the, at the auction block and, and I work uh, mostly like horse sales, the auctioneer sits at the auction block and you got this great big arena of people sitting all around the arena and you got like five or six guys in the arena standing, looking out at the crowd, spotting bids. Uh, and yeah, I, that makes sense. Uh, for me, I, I love, I love auctions. Uh, I love horse sales, uh, horse auctions in particular. So it's icing on the cake when I can get paid to go paid to work and get front row seats to the action all day long. So that's that's hands down. That that's probably my. Uh, I have other things that that pique my interest that I don't really have any experience in. Like uh, sometime when I get, I I dream of sometime uh, when I get my business a little bit more situated to where I can take these this cool equipment that I have and fiddle around with and make cool things for myself. I really do love working with wood and, uh, I don't, I don't do a lot of it, but I, 
I sometimes research a little bit, like deep pouring uh, is something I'd like to do sometime just as a hobby, not, not to get into for a career, but as a hobby, uh, deep pouring, working with live edge slab tops, stuff like that. that that's something that piques my interest as, as a hobby. Yeah. But currently I, you know, I think auctions is, is what I do. So what is it about the auctions? Is it, it's not, it's not bringing the auction, buying the things it's, is it the environment of the auctions? It's the environment. Yeah. Um, I like, uh, there's a lot of, um, for somebody that likes the, the buying and selling aspect of an auction, there, there's a lot of intense, moments at an auction you know there's a there's a lot of quick decisions being made you know uh i've seen horses go through sale rings bringing three hundred thousand dollars in and that horse is sold within five minutes and you know to me i like auctions enough that i've said I i don't really care if they're selling horses or if they're selling signs or if they're selling, you know, I don't care what they're selling as long as we have a crowd that wants to buy what we're selling. Yeah. And, and that's, to me, that's, it's, it's this. It, it can be electric. Inter- yeah, yeah, it is. It's it pretty, is. it is. I I've, I've been to a few and, um, yeah, I, I don't need another expensive hobby, but yeah. so I'm not going to start going to auctions. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, I, I do, I do catch what you're saying. That electric yeah. environment. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. And, and with you being the, with being the bid spotter, um, it puts you right in the middle oh, yeah. between the auctioneer and the bidder. Okay. So, uh, you know, you can, I don't know if you ever went to an auction and bid on something, but it's just like this, gets this little rush of, of bidding. And so are you coaching the guy, are you coaching him too? It's like, come on, man. Oh yeah. Up, oh, yeah. Come on, come on, come on. You got, you <laughs> yeah. <can go. laughs> yeah. I, I have this thing like when I know somebody's done, I try not to push them for another bid because I wouldn't yeah. want somebody doing that. I don't like bidder, buyer's remorse. No. Uh, there's bid spotters out there that, you know, if they can just get them to say yes again, you know, that's all that matters. Like, uh. um, for me, I, I, I like when I know you're done, you know, I let it go. I, you know, I'll tell the auctioneer, nope, he's done. Let's, let's move on to the next item. But when I get this feeling like, man, you really would kind of like to go again. Like, uh, there's, I, there's this rush in, in actually getting that bid out of him. So, and and you got to do it in a way that, that it doesn't upset anybody, you know, because some people, when you push them too much or call them out, some people like to bid secretive, you know, you don't want to, they don't like to be called out. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The better, they don't right, want so. the attention drawn on themselves, exactly. right? Yeah, I get that. So yeah, so there's we're back to that human element that uh, you know you can't automate that. Exactly, right? you have right. to read the yeah. read the people and uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, very so. cool. So um, all right, final question: um, What kind of food do you love? Oh man, what's your favorite? That it like if I can't have a steak. Give me a, a toasted cheese sandwich. Toast, <laughs> you cannot go wrong on a grill. I had a mighty cheese. good toasted cheese sandwich at a at a Shady Crest today. Yeah, yeah. it was great. Yeah, it was tomato Very soup good. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I told I've told my wife like if you ever don't know what to make for like my birthday supper, just make toasted cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So. So uh, we, I think we covered all of it. What did I miss? I'll think about it tomorrow. 
Okay. But no, I think we, I think we got everything. I, it's been great. You know, I don't know that I really had an agenda when I, you know, I just have conversation and, and, you know, it's not, I'm not, I'm not, the, the biggest thing I think to me is like, um, my message to anybody that listens to this is, uh, I came into this business five years ago with no experience and, uh, it's not like I hit some great achievement. It's just that, you know, I'm working every day to try to become better at what I'm doing. And, and if you do that and, and you truly enjoy your job and don't let the stress of the moment, you know, I've done, I think my biggest mistake with this business, uh, that I made for a very long time and I'm not over that yet is, uh, I worked way too many long hours on, my business and I, I get it like you have to work hard to to make a success but uh it can't come at the cost of your, fa- your family time it, and it i did that for too long and, and you know in anybody that's uh passionate about what they do and are in that are an owner right that's there is there's some of that that you know right. we can all own right you, you probably you know I say that and I know that, but you're probably going to have a hard time, uh, building a business on a seven to three type of hours. It you doesn't know, work that it way. It doesn't work I, that I can, way. I can just promise you it, right. it does not go down that way. <laughs> I mean, it's, I was having this conversation with my oldest son about, you know, having his, his own business. And I said, well, if you want to work all the hours available in the day and make the least amount of money and not be guaranteed a paycheck, it's probably a good path for you to go down. Exactly. <laughs> because there are no guarantees, you know, right. um, but still really, you know, what you're an example of is that, you know, these things, they can happen. Right. They can grow and they can be, you know, and, and the thing that, you know, we've, we've said, and I've said that, you know, it's not a large shop that you have here, but you really, you produce a lot of product and it's really impressive. Um, the amount of good that comes out of this, right. This business here. Right. Yeah. I love yeah. seeing it. Yeah. The, the growth has, has been, uh, I, I try not to, to dwell too much on the growth, but it's been, it's been great. You know, I, I try to, you know, everybody sets a new goal for them every year, you know, they yep. set a new goal and it's good. You know, like to have an achievement, uh, like something you want to achieve. Um, but, uh, I've had people that come to me and like, man, I just want to, I want to start my own business and they got good jobs. Like, I want to start my own business. And I'm like, to me, I'm like, why? I know. Why would know. you do that? Like, yeah. it looks totally foolish to me, but on the same hand, like if everybody does that, if everybody just stays in their comfort zone, and they're not willing to take a risk. I mean, we're going to be in pretty bad shape pretty quick. So, you know, you have to be able to, you have to be willing to, uh, five years into this business. Um, if somebody asked me if I'd do it again at this point, I'm not sure what I'd say. Uh, I don't regret doing it, but if I, if I think about where I could have been in this business or where I could have been in that business, uh, it's hard to not look at the easier path. No, I, I uh, get that. But it's not something I regret, uh, but it has, hasn't come easy. Well, you no, it never does. Um, but, you know, if somebody sat you down and said, okay, this is what it's going to look like. This is everything you're going to have to go through for five years to get where you're at. Are you ready to do this? They'd be, I, I don't think I can do it. Right. Um, it's, it, but, you know, it's who you are now. 
correct. Right. I mean, so you, you can't trade any of that. And, you know, now you've got something of value that you've built, which is right. really cool. And, you know, to me, the whole reason is like, I love these conversations. Thank you for joining me. Right. Sure. I, I love that. But I love the idea that we can also at the same time, you know, have a friendship and have these conversations and encourage people that are kind of, because this is what I see. I see shops that are successful and I see shops that are struggling. Mm-hmm. And, and what I, my message is, it's like, Hey, there's a path. Right. One, just have confidence in what you're doing and, right. uh, and you're going to figure it out. But if you're willing to work hard and, and, and have confidence and just move forward in your own way, it's going to sort itself out. Exactly. I a hundred percent. Like it, it, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that any major company is too big to learn from a little guy. And there's definitely nothing that a little guy can't learn from, from the big guy. Uh, you know, networking is, if there's one thing that I think is crucial to, uh, survival, maybe even, I mean, you can survive without networking with your competition, but, uh, man, if, if you can, if you can be in business and walk shoulder to shoulder with your competition, it don't get better than that. Right. It's great. And, and that's really a gift you have that I don't see in everybody, but I think it's some, it's a great message because sure. you really, I mean, when I'm in shops, you're like, Oh yeah, I know Dennis. I know Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, it's all you're doing is, is communing with the people that are in your same business. And sure. you're just sharing like we talked right. about earlier. So yeah. great be value in that be a lonely path without it. Yes, it would. <laughs> a lot of people take that path right down to the yeah. bottom. So let's not do that. Everybody. Right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to Tim. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. I, you know, I have bounced questions off you that had nothing to do with ma- machinery. I mean, we just had a conversation tonight, you know, uh, about something that had nothing to do with machinery. And it's just, I love it. Well, that's, that's, I love that. That's what keeps me going. And that's what I, that's why I love what I do because I get to have these conversations and then coincidentally we'll stumble into a conversation that, sure that helps you with the machine solution. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think I'm going to sign off with that, but I'm going to, I, it's something that struck me as fitting to say, as I sign off, I thought, you know, what do I say when I end a podcast? Okay. It's a thing that I tell my 10 year old boy and I say it every day. I travel for a living. Okay. And so whether right. I'm home or I'm on the road, but particularly when I'm on the road, I always think about it. I, I give him three bits of advice and he's so tired of me saying this, <laughs> but I say it to him and now he knows it. And that's what I want for my kids. And that's what I want for everybody. I always tell him, be kind, work hard and take care of mommy. And I think that seems appropriate And the take care of mommy part is take care of all the people in your life that you love. Right. You know, that's, that's it. Exactly. That's that's to me that's very fitting. The recipe it. for success is just that. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers.